Let's pray together, please. We gather as is our custom, O God, in this beautiful place of worship. And we go through the ritual of singing and reading and praying. But as the hymnist of old said, all is vain unless the spirit of the Holy One comes down. And so we pray that your presence has already been here. And in these moments when words are spoken and reflected upon Scripture, may spirit not simply be in the pulpit, but be in the pew as people hear and receive and ponder the mysteries of faith and what it means for us to hear the sound of the trumpet and be called to the journey. In the name of the one who calls us, even Jesus the Lord, we pray. Amen. You're showing me up, man. They showed me up on Friday night, right before Friday church, they had a uh, picnic of sorts right in front of the sanctuary, right outside the front doors. They set up a grill and some tables and uh, cooked some burgers and hot dogs. It was People came, the folks from Friday church came, and it was a time of fellowship, a time of eating and laughter. Whoever wanted to uh, was invited to come, and a lot of people came. It wasn't what you'd call a dignified event. People kind of hanging around on the front steps of the church. And frankly, they were kind of a motley crew. And to make matters worse, when it was all over, someone realized that they hadn't put a drip cup beneath the grill. And so all the grease from the burgers and dogs had just kind of gathered right there on the steps outside the sanctuary. And I could just see some bride in the future coming down and slipping and lawsuits and all kinds of terrible things in the future. It occurred to me that sometimes to be the church is to be inconvenienced. To have things happen that maybe you'd rather not have happen. What if we sounded the trumpet and invited people to church? And what if they came? And what if in their coming there was all this energy and life and attraction, but along with it there was this inconvenience that happens to you and to me? Marks on the sidewalk, people in the hallways... What if, like Peter and James and John, power somehow flowed through the community of Highland Baptist Church and hurting people were really healed and divided people were really united? But at the same time, on the other hand, Highland Baptist Church would never be the same. Would you be okay with that? Would that, would that work for you? Even if it costs us and inconveniences us? In this fifth chapter of Acts, Jesus, of course, is ascended into heaven. The disciples are left to carry on this message that Jesus came to the earth to deliver. They're left to live their daily lives, to go about their everyday business, to 
go to the temple as was their custom. But I kind of wonder if maybe they felt sort of like superheroes who day to day look like ordinary people, but beneath their civilian clothes are these costumes, these uniforms that, that sort of convey, we've got this power. We don't know where it came from. It's, it's a God thing. We've been given this power. Uh, Peter and John walk through the temple, and the lame man's there and asks for an all, and they pick him up and help him walk. Where, where does that come from? During Jesus' ministry, the disciples were mostly clueless. They would catch on a little bit, then they'd forget it. They'd have a strike, and then they'd throw a gutter ball. They would just um, get it and lose it, this message and this way of Jesus. But when Jesus comes back resurrected, when he looks the disciples in the eye, And says, you're forgiven. When he says to them, peace be with you, it's like the light bulb comes on and they get it. They get who God is and they get what this this whole enterprise is about. God's not a rule keeper. God is not a, a shame dispenser, they realize. God is this radically different operating system than the operating system of the domination system. That God is this life that releases all those who are oppressed, heals all those who are broken, unites again all those who are divided, and they get it that this God breaks down barriers between in and out and rich and poor and powerful and powerless, that in Jesus, God has gone wild. And they get it. And they're changed. And now they stand at Solomon's portico. And I love what the writer of Acts says. None dared join them. But the people held them in high esteem. No one wanted to be around them because it's scary. But they're drawn to them. Remember in school the kid who was always pushing the envelope. Always doing the things that weren't supposed to be done. And you'd say to him, you're going to get in trouble. But you couldn't keep your eyes off of them. You just wanted to see what was next. What were these disciples doing that was so scary? And yet the people held them in such high esteem. What were they doing? What they were doing was gathering people together. And letting the love that they are experiencing fall upon these others who needed it so badly and something is happening. It's not them. They're adamant. It's not us. It's something bigger than us. This is God. But they're being conduits of this mercy and where they go, they're finding these people who so need to hear this message of healing and inclusion and dropping uh, anger and fear and all the things that break us and stress us and divide us. And so the people are drawn. And yet they're afraid. You're going to get in trouble. This is going to inconvenience us. 
And of course it does. The Sadducees come, the domination system, those who are supporting it, they're filled with jealousy, Acts writes. They resent all this attention the disciples are getting. They resent the competition. They resent the idea of some other operating system other than the one they're promoting being held up as the truth of God. And so they have them arrested. And that's when, in a sense, the circus comes to town. You've been to the circus before where they have the skit with the clown, the little dog. The clown picks up the dog and puts it in the box and puts the lid on the box. He turns around and the dog jumps out of the box and runs around to the front. The clown looks at the dog and sees him, picks him up, puts him back in the box. This goes on and on. And the circus comes to town this day for they put the disciples in jail. And the writer of Acts says an angel of the Lord came and opened the door. We don't know what that means, whether that means some divine being with wings and a halo or maybe just an angel like sometimes you're an angel and you help somebody out. The door opens and out they go. But the angel of the Lord gives them this interesting message. Go and tell them about this life. I love that. Three different times in the book of Acts, three different times we hear this story. The disciples preaching the gospel. They're put in the jail, and somehow the jail doors open, and they're allowed out. In this passage, in Acts chapter 12, once again, an angel of the Lord comes. In Acts chapter 16, Paul and Silas are in the jail, and an earthquake comes, and the doors open. As if to say, you can lock this gospel away, but it's going to find its way out. It has to find its way out because it is the truth of God. And I realize that these jailbreaks are kind of reminiscent, if you will, of the resurrection of Jesus. They put him on trial. They kill him. They put him in a tomb. They put a stone in front of a tomb. They put a guard in front of the stone. And on Sunday, here I am. It's it's as if to say... God's operating system will not be deterred. Why? Because it is the hope of the world. I wish I could convey to you the mystery of this truth that it's the hope of the world. You think about all the problems we face as individuals, as a culture, as American people, as part of the the nations of people, And the call of the gospel speaks to every need. It calls us to to see each other as human beings. It calls us to, to unite rather than divide. It calls us to give rather than to receive. No wonder that angel sounds the trumpet and says to those disciples, get back in there. Because this operating system is exactly what the world needs. Go and tell the people the whole message, the angel says, about this life. I love the way he says that. 
He doesn't say, go out there and tell people they got to get saved. He doesn't say, go out there and out-argue with people. He doesn't go out, say, go out there and say, my God can beat up your God. What he says is, go out there and tell people the whole story about this life. This life. This week, the whole subject of homosexuality and gay marriage, of course, has been much in the news. What those who use religion to argue against gay marriage forget or they just cannot see is that this message about this life is beyond what we can just understand or what is convenient for us or what feels familiar and safe to us. It rather is about this wide circle of love that includes and blesses I've been there. I understand that we cling to certain passages that seem to justify what we want to have said, but passages can be misapplied. Passages can be misapplied. And they can ignore the fact that God is always about peace and unity and wholeness and life. This is not new to Jesus. This is what God has always been saying. Let me create a people who will bless God and through God allow all nations on this earth to be blessed. This is the same God from the Hebrew scripture who said they'll beat their swords into plowshares their spears into pruning hooks nation won't lift up sword against nation neither will they learn war anymore why? because this is the operating system of God that Jesus Christ comes to reveal finally and fully well from the jail they go and back out to the temple much like the circus dog, and they're arrested again and brought before the council. The council says to them, we told you not to preach in this name. And here you are out doing it again. You're determined to have this man's blood on us. You notice the habit there of the domination system to react so combatively. To make it this win-lose proposition, us against them. They hear Jesus' teachings as a kind of blame game. You want his blood on us. You want to make us the bad guy. Simon Peter, speaking for the disciples, says to them, we're not trying to fight. We're not trying to assign blame. We're not trying to control. We're not trying to say who's in and who's out. What we're saying is Jesus' life, his death on the cross, and his resurrection happens so that God might give repentance to Israel. That includes you. And forgiveness of sin to all. And that includes you. Do you hear it? We're all invited into this community of love including you who are collaborating with the domination system. There's a new day and a new way. Thus, we must obey God rather than human authority. We've got to get the word out. And this is what evangelism is. 
This is the trumpet that we sound to bear love in the face of fear. To bear love in the face of division. To bear love no matter the consequences, no matter how it inconveniences you and me. That's why we're exploring ideas of how to reach more people. That's why we're talking about adding a, another layer of Bible study classes and worship. Why? Why are we continue, continuing to invite people? How do we not? How do we have this realization and this message and the way we frame it that can transform people? How do we have this and not continue to invite. The Sadducees remind me of the older brother and the story that Jesus told about the prodigal son, the father with the two sons. The younger son is a hellraiser, and he goes out and he wastes everything. But the older brother, he's a good boy. He's a church boy. He's embarrassed by his younger brother who's just the town loser. The older brother has memorized the rules. He's respectable. He has all the rules down except for the rules about love and compassion. So when his younger brother comes home, this one that they thought was dead who makes his way home, the older brother stands out in the field. I'm not going to that party. You think I I go to a party for him? No respectable person would ever get near that party, he says. And the father comes out and says, son, come to the party. The party's for you too. You don't have to wallow in rules. You're invited to the party. But but to come to the party, there will be a few inconveniences. You're going to have to let go of all that luggage you carry around all the time about who's in and who's out and who's good and who's bad. And you're going to have to make room in your heart for strangers. And son, you're going to have to relinquish the luxury that you have of always resenting your younger brother, holding these grievances and always feeling superior It may be an inconvenience, but it is an operating system that makes the world right. For it is of God. Hafiz, the 14th century Sufi mystic and poet, says every child has known God. Not the God of names, not the God of don'ts, not the God who does everything weird, but the God who only knows four words and keeps repeating them, saying, come dance with me. Come dance with me. I've decided that the grease stain outside the church doors on the front sidewalk rather than a stain, is actually a badge of honor. It's a sign, really, that says everyone's welcome and the hungry are fed and we're creating a community of joy. Come dance with me. Let's pray together.
God, I recognize that sermons are relatively easy to preach. They're relatively easy to endure. But the living out of the gospel, that will inconvenience us. And that will require a level of maturity and community that we need you to create. So as we sing and as we ponder, may your Holy Spirit, the one promised to us long ago, visit us individually and as a people and stir us to be alive and open. In the name of Christ, we pray. Amen.